Hello and welcome to another episode of the Women in Blue interview series. Today we have with us Professor Kristin Pettersen from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Uh, she teaches engineering cybernetics at the Norway University of Science and Technology, where she also held the positions of head of department and director of the ICT program of robotics. She is also an adjunct professor uh, of the Norwegian Defense Research Establishment and a key scientist with the Center for Autonomous Marine Operations and Systems. Moreover, she is a co-founder of the Elum AS Trondheim, an NTNU spin-off uh, company in marine robotics. Her research interests focus on nonlinear control of mechanical system with applications to robotics and with an emphasis on marine robotics and snake robotics. Professor Peterson has published four books and more than 300 articles. She has been awarded several best paper awards, the IEE CSS Hendrik Bode Lecture Prize in 2020 and received an ERC Advance Grant in 2021. She is an IEEE CSS Distinguished Lecturer, IEE Fellow, member of the Norwegian Academy of Technology Sciences and member of the Academy of the Royal Norwegian Society of Sciences and Letters. Thank you very much for this uh, very brief introduction that somehow tries to summarize your great accomplishments in, in your area of research. I uh, would like to welcome you to, to the interview series. And I would like to kick off a little bit and break the ice with, uh, with a more um, practical question of what do you do on a daily basis in your work? How does a every day look like in your job? <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. I find that it varies quite a lot, actually. You have uh, the basis elements, of course. You have the teaching of courses. You have the supervision of master students and PhD students and then you have your own research uh, and of course there were a lot of meetings and uh, yeah so uh, uh, no day is is the same really and uh, some days we are able to do experiments some days most days I'm in the office but uh, it's also a lot of fun to go to the lab. Great. And when you go to the lab, what are you specifically working on? For example, I imagine that this ERC grant, I don't know if you already started, but what, what do you do in, uh, in the lab, for example? Yeah, so we have just started the ERC uh, advanced grant project. And uh, what we will be working with there are, are several platforms. Uh, one is the articulated intervention AUV which is a snake-like robot uh, that we have in our laboratory. So that is one experimental platform. And uh, we also have several kinds of ROVs from large work-loss ROVs. But I found it particularly interesting to look at the smaller ROVs where the motion of the manipulator arms really affect the motion of the whole ROV and makes it even more complex to control it. So you like uh, the complex challenges and the difficult parts. Yes, those are the fun ones. <laughs> Great. <laughs> At least when we're able to solve them. <laughs> and when not, I assume you learn a lot and you also carry it on yes. uh, in your further projects. And talking exactly. about discovery and the passion that you have, when did you discover your passion for, for robotics? And what was your initial interest in robotics, let's say? Yeah, so 
I discovered my passion for this during my master studies in engineering cybernetics. Uh, I then had courses uh, on robot control and I found the modeling and the control of robot manipulators deeply fascinating. How control theory that we had learned a lot about in theory, how this could be used to achieve the sophisticated motion of these robots. And then also Professor Tu Fossen, he gave a course on modeling control of marine vehicles, which ignited my passion for marine robotics. And uh, I am particularly interested in the control challenges that arise from the underactuation of marine vehicles, typically ships without side thrusters and AUVs where both the heave and the sway motion, they cannot be controlled directly, but they have to be controlled through controlling the pitch and your motion. So under actuation gives really interesting control challenges and also the opposite problem. I'm intrigued by the control challenges that arise from overactuation. So overactuated robots like swimming snake robots and articulated intervention AUVs where the high number of degrees of freedom makes the motion planning and the control task more challenging. Was it somehow maybe during the childhood that you had interests of of this kind or did it come manifestate um, more during your master studies as you see could you see somehow a progress of your interest toward this area or was it something new like a sort of first love uh, love at first sight yeah no um i had no idea what control theory was when i when i was a child so it was first in my master studies i started uh, as a master student in 1987 and i had not heard about control theory yet then but uh, i'd learned a little bit of programming uh, the programming language that was called basic at that time and had played using Commodore 64 and I, I wanted to go into computer science um, but it uh, and then you didn't have a separate uh, study for computer science it was computer science and engineering cybernetics so I was introduced to control theory through the engineering cybernetics part. And I, I just fell in love with the, the combination of uh, using mathematics and, uh, and, and uh, computer programming together to achieve motion in the, in the real world. So, uh, so I found that very fascinating. And uh, that's when I, yeah, I, took my master's, I, I changed uh, for the major and I uh, focused on control theory. And then after finishing my master, I felt that I hadn't learned enough yet. So I continue with the PhD and yeah, here I am today. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like this one, one challenge after the other. And I imagine it was also a challenging career path to choose and what kept you motivated throughout this time to, as you were speaking also about that technology at the time when you started was not uh, at the point that it is today, what kept you mm -hmm. driving and going forward in this field? Yeah, uh, I think I appreciate being able to go in depth on topics. So really, really understanding them uh, as thoroughly as possible. And, and for instance, seeking to, to truly understand the the fundamental and intrinsic properties of a system that should be controlled. Um, so being able to really go in depth, that was something that motivated me a lot. And, um, um, 
I also I enjoy teaching and I uh, enjoy supervising both master and PhD students. So therefore I saw that the career as a professor was really attractive and specifically working as a professor in marine robotics. And who supported you during the more challenging times of your career? I assume you had support coming from different ways. Yes, we all need the uh, support. Uh, my family has been really important to me. My uh, first, my mother, father and brother, and uh, lately uh, my husband, my children, all, all the support there. It's uh, extremely uh, useful and necessary when, when the going gets tough. Uh, and also, uh, we have a very good work environment in our department uh, where I have really supportive and insightful colleagues that they can turn to to both discuss scientific challenges and for moral support. So all these have been really important for me. Did you feel also supported by the educational system, for example, or oh, not yes. specifically? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All, all the way from uh, from primary school and uh, and uh, forward. Um, so I never felt uh, that I was held back or asked to do something differently because I was a girl. Um, of course, when I started my master studies, we were only six percent uh, female students, so that was the first time when I felt, oh, maybe, maybe this is a field made for by and for men. Uh, mm. So, but it was a, it was a, never any discrimination. It more was more like you were not sort of in, uh, uh, yeah, you were different than most, and and that gives the signal as, as well. There weren't uh, very many uh, or any female role models within the field. How did you deal with this kind of feeling of insecurity and uh, being a little bit challenged about the environment that you saw? Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, well, I think uh, we we uh, supported each other a lot, the the female students. So we we uh, stuck together. And uh, when I started my PhD studies, we the number of female students increased. So then it was uh, also felt uh, felt even better. Um, yeah, so I think the the support, but else it's. It's not about gender. It's uh, it's the same for everyone, both uh, both male and female students. You have to study, uh, and it's a hard subject. And um, uh, yeah, I don't think it, it it wasn't a lot different for female students. It was uh, mostly that there was a sort of indirect signal mm -hmm. that you you asked yourself perhaps a little bit more than your fellow male students, am I in, in the right place here? Why, why aren't there more women? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think that is why it's uh, so much better yeah. today when we have, uh, yeah, between 30 and 40% female students uh, in engineering, cybernetics or cybernetics and robotics as it's mm -hmm. called now, that makes, us, that makes gender not an issue at all. So I don't think they, they think about it anymore. And that's oh. 
Oh, this is what I wanted to ask if you think that somehow you made some progress after you've been studying and now that you see your students studying and it's very encouraging to hear that the, the number of women is rising. Nevertheless, I still, from what you're telling me, I'm still a little bit amazed that, for example, this uh, challenge was not somehow acknowledged also by professors and the, the as you were saying, uh, encouragement came more for from women because they understood the condition and you were holding together instead of like having also the support for example from male students and I don't know how the oh yes yeah but but uh, we we had that as, as well definitely so so yeah there was a uh, it was all, always supportive but I think what I'm meant to say is that during primary school and middle school and high school it was never an issue mm. uh, gender was never an issue so mm -hmm. it was only in the numbers when we came to the university that still it weren't a lot of female students so not a lot of females choosing uh, to study uh, cybernetics and uh, and the stem um, sciences mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the the professors they were supportive and in particular the, there was a, a change in the society and a change uh, between the generations so so the younger professors at, at that time the older professors those who were close to retirement they weren't really convinced that women had a place in uh, in uh, cybernetics and robotics and these uh, that's they they came from another time but the new and younger professors they were very supportive and uh, also the the university had uh, several uh, meetings for female uh, master students encouraging us to do a PhD and so there was definitely a lot of support and, and encouragement. I was wondering also what was your the one of the toughest challenges you had to face not directly related to the gender gap but overall in your career path and during your study path what what which was one of your toughest moments that you had to overcome? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I cannot say that there has been one, uh, any one toughest challenge, uh, rather been a series of challenges uh, as uh, we all encountered during life um, that had to be overcome in different ways, depending on, on the nature. Um, one of them, for instance, achieving work-family balance. Um, yeah, so at one point, for instance, when I was, uh, I, had just become a professor and we had a son. He was three years old, our oldest son. And my husband's work was suddenly moved to another city. So during the work week, I was in effect a single parent. <laughs> and uh, that gave quite a lot shorter work days than I had been able to have before. Uh, first without any children or when one parent could deliver and another could pick up from daycare, for instance. So, uh, so that, that was definitely a challenge, but uh, the thing with challenges is typically there comes something good for, out of them as well. And for me, this challenge, it pushed me. I had to be really, really efficient. <laughs> I really had to learn how to prioritize and uh, um, to say, this is important, 
this is not so important. So this is not going to be get done. Instead, we're trying to do it all. So prioritize and also to work extremely focused on what mattered most. So uh, that is important knowledge that I brought with me and, and really benefit from later. Hmm. And another question was related to what do you believe that uh, marine robotics as a specific area of robotics can offer that to you that is different from any any other fields of robotics? Uh, well, since since I like robotics, of course, marine robotics it's even even more exciting, and I also think that it motivates me from um, sort of higher perspective as well because the oceans they play such a key role in uh, in addressing our global challenges and the need that we have for energy and for food and minerals um, and it is amazing that these oceans are largely unexplored and therefore I find it deeply meaningful to uh, be part of developing technology that offers the opportunity to access our oceans and to obtain both knowledge and resources and in particular to obtain more knowledge about uh, and protect the biodiversity that exists there to utilize the ocean's resources in a sustainable manner um, that is uh, deeply meaningful to me and is this specific area of sustainability how is it embedded for example from a theoretical perspective in your work what kind of robots do you develop and what kind of uh, methodologies that go in this direction of sustainability do you do you apply? Hmm. So currently I'm working on uh, in particular on articulated intervention AUVs. So these are AUVs that are articulated as the names say. So they, they are also called swimming snake robots. Uh, but they are equipped with thrusters as well. So they also have hovering capabilities because a swimming snake that can't stand still has to, uh, to move back and forward or else it will just be swept away by the ocean currents. This uh, articulated intervention uh, AUVs, they have this articulated body together with the thrusters and that gives them some of the same properties as both survey AUVs and work cloth ROVs and smaller ROVs in, in one package. So there's sort of the Swiss army tool of, of the oceans and uh, that is something that I'm very interested in. So they have very good uh, hydrodynamic properties like survey AOVs. They can just go straight as a torpedo if you don't use the articulation at all. And they, but they are really maneuverable because of the articulation. And that also gives them access to go into narrow places, to go in on the ice, to go into caves, into shipwrecks, and, uh, and also for, for installations that we humans put on the seafloor, uh, like um, oil and gas installations or aquaculture. They can go in between and access and inspect and uh, repair. So, really increases the, the safety and, uh, and protects the oceans to create this kind of robots that, and also, of course, it, it takes away um, dangerous jobs for, for divers, so they're able to go deep and to stay there for a long time. So, so that is what I'm particularly interested in for, for the moment. 
That's that's very fascinating that this multifunctionality. I was just wondering as a curiosity, uh, personal curiosity, how is a snake robot different from soft robotics, for example? I imagine it's not considered a soft robot, what you're working on, no? No, it's not a soft robot, but it clearly has, uh, has similarities to continuum uh, robots and uh, and um, yeah there were lots of similarities between this mm. very interesting uh, if we had to return a little bit at your um, study background and you talked a little bit about your uh, your the environment you were studying in how do you think that this environment changed from uh, from uh, the time you were doing your PhD to your role as a professor? How did you see your position evolve? How did you feel in this context? Yeah, well, um, I started my, my master's studies in 87 and did my master's and PhD, and then I got a faculty position in 96. Uh, and at that time, I was the only female professor in my department. Uh, and for a long time, it actually took 18 years before I got a female colleague. Wow. Um, so uh, I think very much has changed during these 25 years. Um, we have uh, had an increase in the number of female students. So I think the, the study environment is quite a lot different now. Um, than it was uh, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. So it's not as male dominated, although I feel we have come a, a long way now. We are three female professors, which is approximately 10%, but, but it, okay. it's better than being the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then, of course, it, it's difficult to uh, separate between what has been the changes in society and thus at the university and what are the changes that comes from the difference in role from being a master and a PhD student and a very new uh, inexperienced uh, faculty member to being uh, a professor who has been at the university in a faculty position for 25 years now actually. So it's, it's difficult to know what is what but uh, I have the impression that also for the students it doesn't matter as much now uh, which gender you have you you don't have to struggle anymore because you are a female student uh, instead of a male student um, and we see uh, particularly in primary school middle school and high school that actually the girls are taking over they are the ones uh, getting the best grades that is another interesting discussion. Why is that? Is, is the primary school system rigged for female uh, pupils? So who are able and happy to sit down, be quiet, do exactly what the teacher says instead of running around in circles full of energy as uh, perhaps uh, some of the, the male pupils are more uh, inclined to. So, so we see that we, uh, we get more and more female students with good grades going into medicine, going into engineering. So there is something happening there and it will be really interesting to see in 10, 20 years if we, 
are getting the opposite situation also in engineering. It has happened within medicine. Now it's um, too few male students in, in medicine and also in uh, psychology. And that is a problem because we also need, we, we need the balance. Yeah. And I think that is always good in, in any profession. I was wondering if somehow uh, the fact that after your PhD, you got this role, this position at university, um, kept you somehow a little bit safe and motivated to continue. I think you are 100% correct. Uh, when I had finished my PhD, uh, I was offered the postdoc position. Um, and I also had other offers from industry. And uh, I just said, it's, it's not, uh, yeah, it's, it's not an option for me to go into a temporary position. I spent all this time proving myself during my PhD. And it's a time of uh, uh, time in life where you typically want to uh, get children and having that extra pressure of having to perform. Of course, we, we perform even if we have a, a permanent position, but having that pressure uh, at the same time as you are having children and it, it wasn't an option for me. So if I hadn't gotten a permanent position, I wouldn't be in academia. Yeah. Passing a little bit more happier and positive uh, things, I was wondering which were your favorite activities during your studies that didn't uh, connect to, to your studies, like extracurricular? Yeah, so there weren't a lot of free time, <laughs> I remember. Uh, but uh, what I loved and still love to, to do is reading, reading books, uh, not control theory, but uh, any other kind of, of books. Uh, food, making food eating good food, <laughs> wine, and also exercise. Exercise is very important to me. And uh, I think it, it's important where, yeah, with, with an sort of, in the professor job, you are, don't move around a lot during the workday typically. Uh, and uh, I found that exercise is really important to keep the health, health and also to keep the mind sharp to get oxygen flowing around and uh, up to the brain. So, so exercise is also uh, not, not always a favorite activity to do, but uh, it's, a, it's an important part of my day. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was also curious about, because I read that during high school or uh, your studies, you were also singing and playing some music, if I'm not uh, totally wrong. Yes. And what happened yeah. to, to Yeah. Um, well, I, I came from, from a family and from an environment uh, with uh, professional musicians. And I think that because of that, uh, I was a little bit black and white. Either you were a professional or you didn't do it at all, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, so, and I, I didn't practice enough at all. I didn't enjoy practicing. I enjoyed playing uh, the piano, but I didn't enjoy practicing. And then you don't get as good as you need to, to have it as a career. So, uh, so I think that was okay. I'm not going to have a career. And then I just put it away and 
that's a bit <laughs> too bad. I shouldn't have done that, but uh, that's how it is. So you enjoyed, nevertheless, this kind of uh, more creative activities. Oh, yes, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. And did you feel that your extracurricular activities, besides, like you're saying, that sport influences that matches very well with kind of static work that you, you're doing, mm. other kind of activities, how do you see you benefit from them in your own work? Are they kind of synergies? They make you more focused there. What are the synergies that you see? Synergies. I'm not so sort of interested in, in I'm, I'm doing it for the fun of it. I think that is important. Yeah. yeah, we need to have some fun during the day. And of course, it impacts work uh, positively as well, because you, you um, relax and you, uh, you uh, recover and you, uh, uh, when you get back to work, you are fit for, for fight again. So it is, of course, important, but I think it's a, it's a goal in, uh, in itself to, to be happy and to, to have fun uh, during the day, every day. Yeah, I think it's very important to, uh, to remember to, to have a, a sort of <laughs> a, a pulsing, pulsing between working very hard, very focused, and then relaxing. And then you get back to working hard and then you need to relax again. So taking breaks throughout your workday and also so doing something different uh, in the evenings because else your, your energy, if you if it's just work and work and work, your energy goes like this and it starts to become diminishing returns for, on your time. So, but if you sort of have this uh, <laughs> oscillation between working, relaxing, working, relaxing, you can, I think that you... Uh, the efficiency of your work and the, the total time that you, you spend working, it's much, much better. And you will actually get better results at the same time as you keep both mind and body healthy. Perfect. As you are also uh, active in the private sector, because you are a co-founder of Elum, which is a private uh, spin-off, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the differences between uh, the academic and the private sector in marine robotics. How do you see these different worlds and where do you see them collide and where do you see them separate? Yes, that, that's another big question. And I can't say that I've been in the private sector sufficiently uh, much to, to say anything informed about this, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no, I, I don't see any differences, but. I, I haven't been in the private sector much. How did you see your work environment uh, develop in time over these years? Yeah, well, it has developed a lot. And in Scandinavian countries, uh, we have uh, had uh, a lot of e equality for, for a long time now. And I think that my, my generations and the younger ones uh, we, we have both male and female, we have the same interests and uh, the, the fathers take uh, responsibility for the upbringing of the children. When, when I started uh, as a faculty member, at that time, uh, I never said I have to leave at four because I have to go to daycare. 
because that in that time gave a signal that okay i'm not 100 dedicated to my job as all the male faculty members were but that has changed a lot so now it's can we never have meetings after uh, it's sort of it's not comilfoy to have meetings after the time when people need to leave to get to uh, to pick the children up from daycare and if anybody uh, were to uh, to uh, arrange for uh, or plan a meeting that or, or the meeting went over time then it may as well be a male uh, colleague as a female that says oh sorry i have to go now i have to pick up a daycare so it's uh it's gender it's it's not really an issue Turning a little bit to uh, younger children, for example, would you be of the opinion that from an early age on we should put children more in contact with the um, uh, way of functioning of robotics, not directly with robotics because of course they are quite at an early age, but somehow expose them to, to technologies and in a way that um, makes them more aware of their possibilities as grown-ups? Yes, I, I think definitely that is a good idea to, uh, in order to recruit to, to robotics. Um, yeah, I, because if they don't know that it exists, they won't sort of choose it as their career way. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, one example of that, uh, what, uh, the whole uh, whole uh, daycare center to our laboratory to see the sneak robots when uh, when my son was was younger and his best friend he went home uh, to his parents and he asked his mom he didn't ask his dad he asked his mom mom why aren't you working in robotics so it it just shows that it's uh, it's what you see is the role models in his view it was the moms they were the ones doing the robotics not not the dads they had nothing to do with uh, in, within that field so yeah so i think it's it's very important as you say to introduce them to robotics at an early stage such that they see the opportunities there and it's important for both uh, male and female uh, pupils to to see role models in their own own gender very important message and as as a final rounding up question i wanted to to ask you if you had any advice for uh, young women or girls who would like to pursue maybe a career in marine robotics but they're not so sure that they're good for it or they if they have chances for it oh yeah of course they if they're interested in it they will be be good at uh, in it uh, i th think that uh, it's not like one gender is particularly well wired uh, for a job in robotics uh, i think we're we're all individuals we we carry with our us uh, our own set of abilities and interests and uh, personality and my best tip is to pursue what you love doing. So what excites and resonates with you, because when you do something that you love, then you, you will get to that. Great. This is a perfect way to, to end and round up the, today's chat. Thank you very much, Professor Peterson, for uh, being having been today with us and having shared a little bit of your 
uh, of your uh, experience and and of your personal and uh, professional career path. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you.